Welcome to Dear Prudence. I'm your Prudence, Janae Desmond-Harris. Today, we'll be answering letters about questions like, should I refuse to be a bridesmaid because I feel ugly? Should I donate sperm to an ex? And should I travel internationally with a virtual stranger who is acting extremely weird? Here to help me out is my guest, Amy Oniobi. She's a writer, director, and producer who's known for her work on HBO's Insecure, and maybe less well-known. I dug this up while looking into her background. She actually used to host a series called Modern Manners on YouTube, where she answered questions about topics like how to be a good dinner party guest and what should you do if your boss friends you on Facebook. So welcome, Amy. Thanks for being here. Oh my God. Thanks for having me and for digging up my past. (laughs) Yeah. So I know you have lots of advice on lots of topics, but what's a piece you would want to give just totally unprompted about anything? Uh, Unprompted advice for the world. Um, Drink water and mind your business. Um, Honestly, like stay hydrated and, uh, if it ain't about you, move on. <laughs> you know, I find the water part so easy. I love water, but the minding your business part is tough. It's really tough. But if you see like a Twitter comments, like, uh, you know, YouTube comments, it's usually people minding someone else's business. And it's just like, yeah, keep it chill, focus on the business that pays you. And if you ain't paid right now, focus on that get money. No, it really is true. (laughs) And one thing that keeps me in line with minding other people's business is like, if I do this tweet or comment, um, that's like usually negative about someone else's business, how am I going to feel afterwards? Yeah. Usually you don't feel good. Yeah. You end up having like kind of like a stressed out antsy feeling after you've minded someone else's business in a way that's negative. So probably better not to, and just to like have a half gallon of water instead. Right. I completely agree. I I always think if I have to think about it, if I'm like, should I tweet this? The answer Mm -hmm. is no. (laughs) Like if you have any hesitation, the answer is no. Save it for the group thread. That's what texts are for. (laughs) Totally. Even though now Twitter is like safer because nothing's really going on on there and no one's on there. Nobody sees any tweets. So you can actually kind of do what you want. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Nobody's there. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) Amy and I will get into answering your questions after a short break. Can't get enough Dear Prudence? Then you should definitely join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. You'll get to hear me answer an extra question every week just for members. With your subscription, you get ad-free listening across the Slate network and unlimited reading on the Slate site, including all Dear Prudence columns, past and present. Go to slate.com forward slash prudyplus to sign up. It's just $15 for your first three months. Again, That's slate.com forward slash prudy plus. Welcome back. You're listening to Dear Prudence, and I'm here with Amy Oniobi. Let's get started with our first letter. It's titled, Not a Bridesmaid Type. I have a problem that may seem strange. My best friend is getting married soon, and I know she will want me to either be a bridesmaid or her maid of honor. And I really, really don't want to do this, not because of money or anything like that, but because I'm really not that attractive. I'm kind of plain and overweight. My best friend is a real sweetheart and much better looking than I am. She doesn't get how horrible it is to have to stand up in front of a crowd and know people are judging you and maybe laughing. If I told my friend how I felt, I know she'd just say it didn't matter, and she loved me and wanted me to be there, and she'd work with me so I'd be comfortable. 
But like I said, she's just so pretty, she doesn't understand. She has other friends who would probably look better. Can you see a way out? So, I guess I just want to acknowledge that self-consciousness about appearance is a real thing. And it's a real thing for a reason in a society that makes a big deal about looks. Mm. And I've definitely dealt with it. And I know that it can take you out of an experience if you're preoccupied with your issues, with the way you look and how people are seeing you. And I actually have memories of events in my life where the memory is overshadowed by the way I remember feeling that day Mm. about how I looked and how I didn't like it. So... Even though this con- this concern can come off as a little superficial, like I guess I just want to nod to the fact that it's a real serious thing that a lot of people deal with. Yeah, I mean, this question is uh, devastating to me because it's mm-hmm. so sad to think that because of how you look, you will hurt your friend's special day. First of mm-hmm. all, she's used to looking at you, so she likes how you look. Right. It doesn't matter what you think you look like, your friend likes how you look. And then also makeup does wonders. I feel like on a wedding day, you get your makeup done. Um, everybody looks a little bit different. And part three, mm-hmm. it's about how your friend feels. It's her wedding day right. and not to be like, I don't know. I always think of like, I've had so, I've been a bridesmaid so many times and my brides have asked for insane things like we all need to take (laughs) photos with our robes half off our shoulder and winking and I'm like this is ludicrous but I'm always like it's her day whatever she wants whatever she wants whatever she wants so for me I think in this situation I would want to put my feelings aside to support my friend and then I guess it makes me also just so sad to think that you're in a relationship with the world and with your friend and with yourself where you're constantly comparing how you look to others. And I would want to get that addressed apart from the wedding. Like, what can I do to improve my self-esteem? In that? Right. Also, like, quote, kind of plain and overweight sounds pretty regular. Yeah, that's me. It's not as if this person... <laughs> me too. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it, like, it's not as if this person is saying she's so far from the standard of beauty that, like, no. children are getting frightened when they look at her. People aren't yelling at her on the street. Um, she's just, like, okay looking, which seems more manageable than I have this huge perceived flaw that yeah. I'm so self-conscious about and that people make fun of me about all the time. But I like what you said about making it about the bride. And that's the advice I give to people who are like, I'm not enjoying this experience. I'm being asked to do too much. And I didn't even get a plus one. Mm -hmm. I just tell them the only way you're going to enjoy being a bridesmaid is to change your mentality to like almost have a competition with yourself of like, how much can I make this person's day great? Because if your goal is to have a great day on a schedule you didn't choose, wearing something you didn't choose where someone else is the focus, you're going to fail. So you have to like switch your mentality to just being a cheerleader for this other person. And I think that kind of applies here too. I wonder if the letter writer can just, you know, I hate to tell people like, just think about it differently because that's very hard. Mm -hmm. But I wonder if she can challenge herself to sort of shift her focus to her friendship with the bride. Mm -hmm. Mm Because I really do feel that weddings, when it comes to like the bride's set of girlfriends who are there, there's so much more about friendship than they are about the actual relationship of the two people getting married. Yeah, Like I'm sure in in your many bridesmaid experiences, when you're in that room with the robe off your shoulder, (laughs) drinking champagne, 
Nobody is talking about the husband no. at all. He's not mentioned. No. Nobody is like giving relationship advice. Nobody is saying, oh, when you're having children, it's all about, yay, we're here and we're all friends, right? Exactly. So I just wonder if she can kind of lean into that. Can we talk about Insecure a little bit? Of course. So in the finale, for those who don't know, it ends with a wedding. Mm. And the two of the main characters, Molly and Issa, have this really touching exchange about their friendship and like thanking each other for being there for each other. That's actually the part that made me cry. Yeah. And I just think it's so emblematic of how a bride and maid of honor or bridesmaid relationship can like deepen a friendship, solidify a friendship, be a reflection of a friendship, and not at all be about how people look, right? Now I get it. You're getting hair and makeup done. You do care. But it would have been a tragedy if Molly had said, I don't want to stand up there because Mm -hmm. I don't like how I look this week, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. And as someone, I'll say this, just sharing a little anecdote from my own life. I officiated a friend's wedding before. So I'm in every photo and Mm -hmm. I started to cry the minute they came down the aisle. And so I feel deeply like I've ruined every photo because every photo has (laughs) me standing between them looking like a mess. And I remember telling my friend, his name's Garrett, and being like, Garrett, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I like look awful. And he's like, you look like you care. Like he was just like, Aww. all I see is that my friend cares and that she wanted yeah. to be there. And we chose the right person to do this. He's like, yeah, I'm not hanging it on my wall. But the memory is sweet. Because <laughs> I truly look a fright. So all that to say, like, no matter how you look, the emotions of the moment are going to be your friend being like, all of my people are here. And that's more important than anything else, I think. Right. And on a practical level, letter writer, um, like you are going to be seen and perceived by everyone at the wedding, whether you're a bridesmaid or not. Mm -hmm. So like you'll be there in your body with your face. Mm -hmm. At least if you're a bridesmaid, you'll probably have professional hair and makeup. Yes. That's actually going to take everything up a notch. Oh, 100%. And then just what you said, the bride would be willing to work with you and the bride sounds amazing. I just wonder if you can think about what would help, what would make you feel as good as possible, whether it's a style of dress, a color, a hairstyle. Um, it sounds like she would be really accommodating. Yeah. So I would go into this just thinking not how can I get out of it, but what could make it as painless as possible for yeah. me. I've done a thing where I wear like a cool wig, like a different mm. color. I'm like, I'll be blonde for this event. <laughs> so yeah. just so I can feel a little different from myself. So maybe you have yeah. a hairstyle. I love the idea of a hairstyle or something that switches it out. Yeah, something that makes you feel like someone else. You're not you being observed. You're someone else, your character, your bridesmaid for a day. I think you can get through this. I really want to say strongly that you, you can't back out of this. You yeah. just can't do it. Don't do it. Yeah, you can also like, if it's something you do, you can drink or have whatever substance you need to feel more, more relaxed. Yeah, whatever yeah. it takes to just get those nerves under control and get through the day. Mm-hmm. So our next question is titled, Jamaican Me Crazy. I really don't know what to do or how to read the situation. My on-again, off-again boyfriend of almost seven years lives in another state right now. He was basically having a crisis and felt it would be best to move back to where his family is. I was supposed to go too, but things didn't go as planned and now he's in the process of getting back to me, which wouldn't be for another month. We're in a rocky place. I love him but there's so much when I think about it. 
We started dating young and 19 and 21. I do think he loves me, but I'm not sure if I desire more emotionally. I would want to be married sooner rather than later, and I question how much it is of a priority to him. Well, he's been gone almost five months now. I met someone else about a month ago. He's definitely my type. We spent a few days in a row with each other when we first met. He introduced me to his parents, and they invited me to Jamaica with them. I thought it was bizarre, but I got wild, genuine vibes from him and his family. Another important thing is he and I have the same birthday, January 18th. He's just one year younger. After the first week of us getting to know each other, I didn't see him again until today. I had gone out of town for a week. His cousin passed away. He had car troubles. I work a typical eight to five and he works at an auto store in the evening hours. There were a lot of obstacles. So I tried to be understanding. But also... He was going MIA a bunch of times. He is very inconsistent with texting. At the same time, when he would text me, it would always be explaining why he wasn't communicative. And all this time, he's still been saying he can't wait for us to go on this trip. As I said, I finally saw him today, and the trip is supposed to be this upcoming Friday, six days away. He mentioned meeting my mom and brother this week. I spoke with his mom, and she was so excited about the trip and was confirming I was going. When I saw him today, I was instantly just at ease and laughing the whole time. He does lack a lot in ways compared to my long-term uncertain situation, like independence-wise. I'm just wondering, what is really up with this guy, though? Is it weird he's still expecting me to go on this trip out of the country and meet his whole family, basically? Is he really serious about me? His behavior really makes me question it, but when I'm with him, it feels genuine. Is he playing games just to get me there? I just wish I could understand because he has not put effort into doing anything with me, really, when we live three minutes away from each other. So why would I go out of the country with so little time spent? I honestly really do want to after seeing him, but I just want to know what exactly is really going on. He's very sweet to me, but hasn't made much time for me. I've expressed to him I would like better communication, but there's always an excuse as to why I didn't hear from him. I don't like that. At the same time, I feel a connection with him. When we first met, it was like instant, and he said that as well. And that's why he said he invited me to go on the trip. It was later in the text that we discovered we have the same birthday. I don't want to miss if this could be something special underneath. And maybe the trip will confirm it? Please help. I was just laughing listening to this because I know this letter writer has been driving her friends absolutely nuts. Yeah. Texting the group chat about she this. She just said this. Well, no, what do you what think? Do you think? Yeah. He just says this, but wouldn't he have made more effort? But I'm not sure. And you know, they're all just like oh. counting the red flags that are just <laughs> lining up one after the other. So first of all, with the guy number one, on again, off again for seven years, just keep that off. Bye. It's okay to just keep that off. I don't <laughs> even know what happened, but keep it off. Number two. His cousin passed away and he had car troubles. Do you ever watch the show Catfish? Yeah. So whenever someone is like not who they say they are in a relationship and they've been sending fake pictures Mm -hmm. and they don't want to meet up, their cousin always died (laughs) or someone died. (laughs) 
that's wild because you can't question that you can't question question it right or they're on their way or it's it's car troubles right and i don't even feel like cars break down like that they really don't and also why ain't he got a car that works so (laughs) right so that's a huge red flag he and i have the same birthday it's not a red flag to have the same birthday it's a red flag to need that as a piece of evidence that this is a good connection. Yes. And I'd like to just point out that January 18th, that's Capricorn going into Aquarius. So mm. I just want to point out that Aquarius is kind of like go with the flow. And it sounds like mm. that's what they're both doing. So they're yes. cusp. They're cusp Aquarius right now. So him having the same birthday to me is a red flag because he's going oh, with the flow just like you are. So separates us. <laughs> Oh, that's such a good astrological insight. I love that. Mm. Okay, so next red flag. He lacks things compared to my long term situation, like independence wise. Okay. (laughs) That's not great. That's not great. You want someone who lives independently and isn't doing everything with his parents. Um, I think this is really the kicker here. He has not put effort into doing anything with me when we live three minutes away from each other. I was like, what how in much, the world? How much more do we need here? How much right. more do we need here? Oh, and the, the last one, I don't want to miss if this could be something special underneath and maybe the trip will confirm it. I think that if you have something special, the first clue will be that it feels like something special. Yes. Not something frustrating and confusing and stressful and inconsistent. Yes. We had this letter a while ago where someone was like, this guy is rich and he invited my friend to travel with her. Do you think he's trying to human traffic her? And I kind of made fun of that. Like, that's, <laughs> why are you going there? But this situation, I'm honestly like, maybe? Yeah. Maybe? Yeah. It just seems very sketchy. It's mad sketch. And then also, I want to point out to our letter writer, she met this guy after seven years of on again, off again. And as a therapist once told me, we in life are attracted to what's familiar, not what's good for mm. us. We're attracted to what's familiar. So that's why people in abusive relationships return to abusers because it feels familiar and it gives them the same butterflies and butterflies are your trauma lighting up. It's not always wow. love. So the fact that you are attracted to this guy after coming out of a situationship and you're literally trying to talk yourself into another one, red fucking flag, you're attracted to what's familiar. Try and find something that feels different. Butterflies are your trauma lighting up. I wrote that down. I'm going to add that to my arsenal. That makes so much sense. Yeah. And I hadn't made the connection between like relationship one, which sounds bad and relationship two, which sounds bad in a a different way, but I'm actually seeing that they actually have a lot in common. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So more from like the world of therapy, there's a self-helpy quote that says you can't lose what is meant for you. Yes. Um, I don't know who to attribute that to, but I've always found that really comforting. I think there can be this worry in dating, like what if this is the one and all I have to do is put up with all this nonsense and inconsistency so I can have the one. Well, just don't put up with the horrible stuff. And if it still works out, then that's your answer. It was the one. And if it doesn't happen because you didn't go to Jamaica on a week's notice after no contact, Mm -hmm. then maybe... That's your sign that this wasn't meant to be. That's your sign. Yeah. Where the first letter kind of made me uh, devastated. This one makes me really stressed because I was like, girl, you are telling yourself the signs and then trying to talk yourself out. Mm -hmm. You know the answer. That's so true. We're living in the age of Tinder. You don't have to choose between seven year on and off. And I just met you. You're weird and flaky. Yeah. And love bombing. 
like being like, come to Jamaica, meet my whole family. That's a lot. Yeah. It's way too much. Open the apps and just widen the pool to like five or 10 more people and start to look for someone who has the good qualities of these two guys and like far fewer of the bad and weird and confusing ones. Yeah. Agreed. To be totally clear. No to Jamaica. Do not get on on the plane. Don't do it. (laughs) Under any circumstances. Don't do it. You're listening to Dear Prudence. We need to take a break, but when we come back, more letters from you and advice from us. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Dear Prudence. My guest Amy and I are working together to answer your letters today, and the next one is titled Confused in New Fatherhood. My ex-wife approached me recently and asked if I would help her by being the donor partner as she tries to have a child. I agreed to do so. She's been trying to have a child for 10 years with no success, and I'm sure she still harbors some hurt that she and I never had a child while married. Our marriage ended several years ago after I lost attraction to her. I'm in therapy to understand the mechanics of why. And so we don't have sex, but we have a very amicable and friendly relationship and both still love each other. In talking to people who know her, she does secretly wish that she and I could reconcile and find a way back to the happiness we found early in our dating path together. In the meantime, I just discovered I have a nine-month-old child by a woman I have been seeing. I'm not in love with her, and this was essentially an accident. My ex and I do not discuss other relationships, but do I need to disclose to her the fact that I have a child now, or is this irrelevant to my agreeing to assist her via IVF to have her own child? I want to do the right thing, but fear this knowledge may irrevocably hurt my ex. The fact that I have a child is someone, in her view, so haphazardly, and yet don't sleep with her and wasn't able to do that for her. I love how he's like, well, I'm definitely going to have a child with my ex. That decision is That made. is wild. <laughs> like, just the way he's like, <laughs> it's happening. Oops. <laughs> Yeah. Like just how much should I, how many facts should I share around it? But let's go back. And I know you didn't ask letter writer, but maybe this isn't the best path forward. Yeah, It doesn't sound like the best path forward to me. Oh my gosh. It's, it's like a little strange to me that he feels beholden to father her child just because he knows Mm -hmm. of her history of struggle. Like there are many kind things you can do for a person becoming the absent father to their child doesn't feel like the kindest. So unless you're planning in some way to, especially knowing that she wants to get back together with you, like it's a little manipulative to lead her on to think she can have a family with you. It's weird. I don't want to be judgy. I don't know all the history, but I'll say, hey, letter writer, why do you want to be uh, attached to your ex for the rest of Hmm. your life? You know what I mean? That is such a good question. That's what you're signing up for. I love that question, especially because she still has feelings for him. Yeah. Every clause in this letter raised questions for me. So he's heard through friends. First of all, why is it friends and not her? Yeah. That she still has feelings for him. If she still has feelings, why do you think it would be healthy to be a donor for her child? Yeah. I know there's a lot of creative ways to have a family and people do different things and I get it. But I think what makes a situation like this work is like, tons of transparency and communication and emotional maturity on both sides. And I'm not seeing any of that here. It just seems there are so many conversations that have not been had Mm -hmm. and need to be had, um, preferably with the help of a professional. 
mm-hmm. to decide like whether this is a good idea. How would it look legally? How would it look emotionally? What are we going to do with these lingering feelings? Does she understand there's no chance of reconciliation? All of these are questions that need to be answered. And yes, absolutely. The existence of a nine-month-old child should be shared, but it's like number 10 on the list, (laughs) right? (laughs) Yeah. It's like, there are a few things that need to be shared before that. I'm not in love with you. I don't plan on being in love with you again. Don't see it happening. Whether Mm -hmm. or not you plan to be a part of this future child's life. If you're planning to date other people while she's pregnant, how much you're Mm -hmm. planning to be present in the birth process. Like there are so many Mm -hmm. things that need to be assessed and letting her know, by the way, I'm having a kid with someone else feels pretty crucial. Yeah, definitely. And like, don't feel as if you are her only path to having a child. There are a lot of other people out there with sperm. Mm -hmm. Some of it costs money. Some of it is free. Maybe you could contribute financially to going to a sperm bank. I think the letter writer feels guilty that he lost attraction to her. Mm-hmm. And he feels like he's responsible for the fact that she hasn't been able to create the family she wants. And so he wants to kind of step in here. Yeah, I actually think that's a good point, Janae. He said he's in therapy to understand the mechanics of why they lost attraction for her. And I'm kind mm-hmm. of like, Who cares? Who cares? Like people lose attraction for people. Why are you beating yourself up about it? Why is this guilt making you want to give her a child? There's something there too. Yeah, totally. This isn't a solution to the problem that you had. Very low on the list of topics that would need to be discussed if you were thinking about creating this child together. So not only do I not think you need to tell her about the nine-month-old child, I think you need to not do this. (laughs) <laughs> and, and, and bring that up with a therapist who will agree with us. You're listening to Dear Prudence. When we come back, more letters from you and hopefully some helpful advice. Stay tuned. I'm Janae and you're listening to Dear Prudence. Amy and I are about to tackle our last question for the day. Ready, Amy? Ready as I'll ever be. Let's go. Okay. The letter is titled, Kinda Paranoid, Kinda Not. I have been in a serious relationship for some years now, but one thing that has seemed to bother me was how obsessed my boyfriend is into true crime. He enjoys reading in detail murder stories and getting into the nitty gritty of all the gore. He has seen a lot of crime scene photos, and he says he's just a crime junkie for those kinds of stories. He doesn't strike me as someone who would do harm to me. But I do have anxiety, and sometimes I worry about the future and my livelihood for obvious reasons. My boyfriend is desensitized to dead people and dead bodies and reading crime stories about how people murder. I try not to overthink myself too hard, and his argument is that it's not unlikely to be interested in these kinds of things, because look how popular these types of shows are on cable and the internet. I have discussed this with my mom, and she thinks it's strange but did mention how men do like gore stuff. Do you think I'm overreacting or do you think there is some concern there? If there is a potential concern, how do you think I should address it? I want a future with him and a life together and want a long future at that. LOL. I love how she's like, I don't want to die. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to be killed. I don't want to be murdered. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) I do want to be with him. I just don't want to be dismembered. Um, (laughs) 
Amy, do you like true crime? I hate it. I'm literally, I'm not a true crime person. I've never listened. I've listened to like one true crime podcast and I was like, okay, I get the vibes. I'm, I'm not into it. So I think that's the right way to be. Like, I think that is a sign of being a good person <laughs> that you don't enjoy hearing about terrible things that really no. happen to real people no. for entertainment. Um, I have to admit that I am a little bit of a true crime person. I used to be more, I've gotten more sensitive as I've gotten older. Mm -hmm. So like I'm gradually starting to find it more and more upsetting, mm -hmm. which I think is a healthy feeling. But I can also relate to the letter writer's boyfriend who just listens and is like, I think it takes you, you know what I think it's, it's good for? It takes you so far out of your own life mm -hmm. and your own problems by hearing about these problems that are so much more dramatic and worse and more tragic that it's like a break from your own dilemmas. I, but to me, that's the purpose it serves. So I can absolutely see him listening to it in that way mm -hmm. without like secretly fantasizing about killing anyone. Yeah. And also true crime, I think part of the appeal is like exploration of the human condition and just like how people think and how people feel mm -hmm. about things. So I, I sometimes find people who are not extremely social sometimes are into true crime because it's hmm. like you're learning about people even though it's like sad but you're also learning it's always like they were their lovers for 12 years and then you know it's like you're yeah. hearing a backstory and that part of it is sometimes just hearing about people um totally i guess my question for the letter writer is like why are you hearing him hearing true crime all the time because i'm like is he listening to it out loud in your house is he recounting hmm. it to you is he listening into the car when you're going places? I guess I'm like, how much is it inundating in your life? And maybe that's a boundary you could draw where it's like, yeah. listen to it when you're on walks without me. Like, I don't want to hear right. it blasting from the stereo every time I walk in the door, you know? Right. Because we have AirPods for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. I've dated someone who loves horror and I do not. Like, I can't even watch like a children's scary movie, but I wasn't mm -hmm. like, oh no, he might. Uh, turn me into a ghost I was very much like please watch that when I'm not around you know and <laughs> right <laughs> so yeah <laughs> you know what line kind of concerned me here mm -hmm. and I'm maybe just as a writer I'm like nitpicking this sure. choice of words but he doesn't strike me as someone who would do harm to <laughs> <Yes>. me <laughs> this isn't like somebody who you're sitting next to on an airplane this is your person you've been in a relationship with for several years <laughs> Like, what do you mean he doesn't strike you? Yeah, you should be like, he isn't somewhat. Like, what does right. that mean? Have you heard him, like, angrily kill a spider? Has he threatened his right. mother? Like, what? Like, <laughs> why are you unsure about your safety? Yeah, like, how is this issue not totally closed? Like, he's a delightful, warm person who would never hurt a fly, yeah. but he loves true crime. Like, I don't know, pr pretty sure that he's not likely to murder me. I guess, and but on a more serious note, if there's a big question mark about whether this matters, I think that might be your answer. Yes. I just feel that after a number of years of dating, you should feel really certain that the person you're in love with is not like a dark, violent monster. I don't think you want to be turning to an advice column to weigh in on that when you're the one who's with him every day and you know how you feel. And I'm big on listening to instincts, which mm -hmm. I know can be like shaped by trauma and biases and everything. But in general, I think women in particular have really good instincts. 
if there's something just nagging at you about this guy that's making you scrutinize like his podcast and documentary viewing habits, I would pay more attention to that. I would really sit and reflect about that. Maybe journal, maybe think, ask yourself, is there anything outside of what he watches and consumes that makes me worried? Because I just want you to be a lot more sure than you are about the type of person he is. I agree. I think that's such a great <laughs> point. It's like there is like some uncertainty <laughs> in her safety. And I, I also think like, if it's just a we have different interests, and this bothers me that he likes something I don't, I sometimes ask myself, how important is this interest in my life? Like, and maybe it just mm-hmm. goes back to what I was saying about when is he listening to these things? And why is it so much a presence in your life? Because I actually like dating people who have different interests than me. Because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, we get our own time. Like we get that you have things you like, you have I have things I like, and we come together. But some people like need to date someone who likes the things they like and need to be with right. someone who there's more overlap. And if that's really important to this letter writer, then I, I completely agree with you, Janae, where it's like maybe it's not um I physically feel unsafe in the house every time I <laughs> alone I've woken up at night and he's staring at me as I sleep like maybe it's not that but also maybe it's just like I really want someone who loves rom-coms and comedy and he doesn't and that means we shouldn't be together because this is way more important to me than I thought absolutely okay those are all the questions we have for this week it's been fun and hopefully helpful thank you Amy of course this was so much fun oh my gosh I, I feel honored to get to share the letters with you Thank you so much. Watch Amy's latest work, Survival of the Thickest, on Netflix with Michelle Buteau. You can also follow her on Instagram and the site formerly known as Twitter (laughs) at A-M-Y-A-N-I-O-B-I to stay up to date on her latest projects. Do you need help getting along with partners, relatives, coworkers, and people in general? Write to me. Go to slate.com forward slash prudy. That's slate.com forward slash P-R-U-D-I-E. The Dear Prudence column publishes every Thursday. And if you'd like to hear your question answered on the podcast, we are looking for letter writers who would be comfortable recording their questions for the show. You can stay anonymous. Don't worry. Dear Prudence is produced by Sierra Spragley-Ricks with a special thanks to Maura Curry. Editorial help from Paola de Verona. Daisy Rosario is senior supervising producer. And Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of audio. I'm your dear Prudence, Janae Desmond-Harris. Until next time.